Snafu is a podcast that contains adult themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Hey guys, welcome to Snafu, where the situation's normal, all fucked up. This is the podcast where we tell you stories of true crime, true mystery, and the truly fucked up shit that happens every single day that we all just seem to forget about. So, we decided we wanted to remind you. I'm Shannon, and guess who's here, you guys? That's right, I'm back, your co-host, Corey. And I'm glad you guys kind of came back, too. I know it's been a bit of time since I've yeah, been around. Yeah, they definitely left because you weren't here. They must have. <laughs> um, but we had a little bit of a big move to do, and that put me away from home for a little bit. Yeah, it's been just a lot of work. I'm sorry, you guys. But, you know, now we live on a little tropical island. Yeah. So... <laughs> At least that's what Corey keeps trying to remind me. So, that being said, I kind of sort of told you guys that we would be back last weekend and didn't really put two and two together that in order to do that, one would require to have internet wherever you go. But <laughs> we live on a little tropical island, so that took a little bit longer than we expected. Yeah. So, I don't know. We're we're back. Um I'm sure they get it. I'm sure everybody who's moved definitely gets it. Maybe. Hopefully. I mean, you know, everyone here, we've moved. No one likes it, but we have to do it anyway. So you have to be like a masochist to enjoy moving. That's why I don't ever unpack. I don't know. I mean, I'm not one really to like kink shame, but I guess probably that would be one of the sickest kinks I've ever heard of was like, who wants to move just because they can? Like, blah. Yeah, yeah. No, not me. Uh, so is there anything else you want to update people? Like, you've been gone for, like, a literal month. So anything on your end that you want to tell people, like, anything like I mean, that? Yeah, we've moved. If you guys follow us on Twitter, um, you kind of know where we're at. And now I'm working on becoming a professional beach bum and not having to worry about anything else. Yeah, because we're on a tropical island. Yep. <laughs> well, okay, fine. True enough. I guess that is big enough in itself. So, you know, as long as you've been gone, at least, I've been holding down the fort. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of saw that you went and brought some drink specials to the podcast. <laughs> if only everyone at home could see that eye roll. Yeah, I mean, it's just me. Um, if I'm gonna Man, be... I try to get classy. I like, hey, let's do this cocktail, or like, let's do... It's everything you I ever wanted to do. You red wine on top of red wine on top of red wine. How do you have cocktails? Okay, so you clearly didn't listen to my voodoo episode, but I made a whole rum cocktail and it was oh, fantastic oh, sure yeah. it was really really good i went out i went i got ingredients from the store red wine and rum i hate you yeah <laughs> it was not it was very it was excellent uh okay well yeah i don't know all i know is i'm glad that i missed out on the people are soap episode that did not know Oh, man, I, I really wish I had waited, like, and saved that for you, because nope. I knew I could have had you sitting here, like, gagging over... Yeah, like... yeah, no, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I gave that a listen to for the topic, and then I know. You want to weigh? Yeah. You want to nope. You don't like the fact that human bodies can literally just turn into soap for no reason? Yeah, no, I no, no, nope. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, okay, so you're a northerner. Have you at least visited the Mutter Museum? I've never heard of the Mutter Museum. Oh my god. I talked all okay. I talked all about it on that episode. So if it's your first time here, well now you have a brief like catch up on stuff I've talked about. But I mean like literally it's the coolest museum I think I've ever been to. It's a medical museum, See, a medical oddities there's museum. There's a reason why I don't go. 
Oh, it's awesome, though. They yeah, do no. such a good job. I was super impressed. So, I don't know. I just want to, I don't know. Can they, like, buy an ad to put on here or something? I love the Modern Museum. It's no, so awesome. No, but I'm going to ban that kind of ad. <laughs> Corey, will do, Corey will have to do the ad, and he'll just gag the halfway through. Yep, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you know, and then um, you go and you bring it on home to where we're kind of living, and you talk about the serial killers in Florida. So, that's fun. Yep. Um, you know, because there's nothing, nothing at all like being terrified when you live on a little island of the other people on the little island with you. Yeah, no, it definitely seems like I'm going all out to try and terrify myself of, of the actual place I live in. But it's really, really honestly hard to do a true crime podcast and not just dive into a lot of Florida, man. Like, it's... Like, we could do a whole episode on, or we could do a whole series on Florida, man. People do do whole series on Florida, man. Yeah, because Florida, man is crazy. He's a superhero. He's the hero we need. But yeah, I guess I think you might be right. I definitely seem to be freaking myself out about where we live. And, um, you know, that's that's just what this podcast really, like I said, it's hard not to do Floor Man. It's hard not to get down there in a true crime podcast. And uh, obviously, you know, this week's not going to be any different. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, we got a story about siblings here. And, you know, kind of one of the darker stories I think I've ever heard. And it brings in that weird psychology aspect, and when that shows up, it just makes it even creepier to me. Yeah, definitely. Like, I'm used to crime. I'm used to breaking it down to, like, the reasons why, like, oh, you had a bad childhood, or, like, oh, you just go, like, but the psychological reasons that tied in to our case today, they, uh, they really blow me away. And, uh, before we dive into our story, I just want to remind, like, we've been talking about, we moved. The sound quality might be different. We're trying out our new studio. Our new digs. Which is a <laughs> giant cavernous room with three fans and three cats running around, so you might hear that. Yeah, yeah, so Corey just also- made us sound like rich as if we're living in a giant mansion. We are not. No, it's a cavernous, <laughs> it's just a cavern. It's not. <laughs> For the point of a podcast, it's a giant cavern. Uh, so- I'm sure it sounds like it. So bear with us on this episode, we'll see what it sounds like, and we'll try and tweak it if we have to. But anyways, back to the story, and what is even our story today? Well, we're going to be talking about sisters Christine and Leia Pappen. So, uh, since we're focusing on sibling relationships today, we really truly have to start with, uh, the family that Christine and Leia came from. That's right, we're getting to the parent blame out of the way, right away, as soon as we can, because everybody blames their parents for why they're screwed up, and we're no different, and we're gonna have to talk about this. Yeah, the story's, yeah, the story's no different at all. So, our story really starts with Gustav Pappen and Clemence Derry. So this is obviously, it's a very French story. We're talking about France here. And you have to understand that Gustav worked for his father. So Isn't we're talking. Gustav the guy in Beauty and the Beast? No, get out. Who's that? <sighs> That's Gustav. That's Gaston. Oh, okay. <laughs> G words in French, same thing. There's no one like Gaston. Apparently not. No one can extrapolate like him. No one can. <laughs> I didn't right. say the word right. Um. No one can grow chest hair like him. No one can, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that song. I just know there's a a G name that was French, so I assume, oh, there's gotta be just one. Okay, well, French French. and G name got you. No, we're talking about Gustav here, and Gustav, he's a typical middle-class guy. His dad runs, like, a cloth mill, and he works for him. What a lot of people don't seem to talk about is that Gustav's family also had some... Mm. 
I don't know, a lot of people call it, like, mental issues. Like, his dad had the outburst, and he also suffered from epilepsy. So, you know, things in that family weren't always great, but he ran his own cloth mill, so he's a little higher class, and his son works for him. And as far as it gets down to Clements, well, she she also worked, which says something at this time, and she's working in a seaman shop. And that's, you know, they're in a small town, they meet each other, but what I want to point out with this is the idea that he's, he's kind of middle class, maybe upper middle class. They have a business. He works for his dad. She's a woman in the very early 1900s, like late 1800s. I was so, just going to need to give me a, a time on this one because I don't know if it's during late Miz or not. <laughs> so basically her working at all kind of points out that, you know, she doesn't come from a very wealthy upbringing. She has to be out there. She has to be working. And together, you know, they have very split personalities. Like Gustav seems to be a generally agreeable guy. He's... I don't know, what today's people would probably call a nice guy. You know what I mean? Like, what do you say about someone who you get along with because he's just, like, he agrees on everything you want, and he's just, he goes with the flow. He's like, a bro-tato. Yeah, there's not much to him. Bro-chacho. But I guess his personality, his quirks, you know, they kind of work out when it comes to Clements because Clements, on the other hand, was known as very stubborn. And she has a habit of being what people were calling flighty. Oh, I wonder what that's like. Yeah, and shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, I I think that you're trying to say I'm flighty. I am not, but compared to her, it's like if she's done, she doesn't want this. She's like gone. And so, like with her personality being like just so he's he's so he's a nice guy. He's agreeable. He like just gets along with folks for the sake of getting along. Clements, stuff's got to be her way when she wants it her way. And a lot of people are like, okay, well, you know, in a relationship, that might be just the perfect ingredients. We know plenty of people who get together and they're like complete opposites. That's the whole point that they're together. Mm Because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to be with someone else who's like, what do you want? I don't know what you want. Like, that's boring. Yeah. So you could say that this is how this relationship got together. Or we could look at the timeline of how things kind of fell through. And realize that things aren't and will never be really great with this couple. So they get married in October of 1901. And by February of 1902, are we doing math here? Uh, They already had their first daughter, Amelia. That's not nine months. No, it's not. So we're we're not quite making the nine months here through the marriage, so it kind of feels like a shotgun wedding to me. Or she just gestated really fast, like an alien. Super fast. I'm pretty sure that's not the deal. That's what they're hiding in Area 51, Clemens's body. But, you know, just to make things more uncomfortable than everyone in town being able to count up that you weren't, you know, married for nine months, but you had a baby, um, there's also rumors flying through town that Amelia is not necessarily Gustav's child. Uh-oh. Yeah, a lot of people are saying things along the lines of, hey, that kind of seems like Clemence's boss, who we think she's having an affair with. You know, so like right off the bat, like things things don't actually go very well in this marriage. You know, they get married in a quick way. They start having kids right away. There's always there's already rumors around town that it's not his kid, that in fact, you know, she's just already in the middle of an affair. You know, things aren't great. And so by 1904, Gustav actually leaves his job with his father 
and he ends up getting a job at a sawmill in Marine. And, of course, more rumors start to come up here, and it, and it all comes down to the fact of this, you know, why would you leave a good job? Why would you leave a guaranteed thing with your dad? Well, a lot of people say it was this, this affair, that he wanted his wife, and he did not want to share his wife. So, hey, I'll get a job in another city, and I'll force my family to move, and that'll just resolve all this shit. That'll do it, yeah. Well, um... The other rumor at the same time was that when this happened, when he decided to move his family to the new town, Clements wasn't about it. Like, she, if she was in this affair, then that was exactly what she wanted to be doing. And so when he basically forced her to move, she threatened to kill herself. Didn't She didn't go through with it, and they moved regardless, and, you know. Yeah, so they moved, and um, by... March 8th in 1905, their second daughter, Christine, was born. This time, you know, Clements showed, you know, she was outright distaste for this child. So it may have been that she liked her boss better than Gustave, in my opinion. Yeah, or she may not just wanted to be married and was sick of having kids already. Yeah, I mean, I would be too. Um, And she insisted that she couldn't bring this one up and instead demanded that Christine be raised by Gustave's sister, Isabel. And yet, six years later... Clements would go on to make yet another daughter, Leia. And on this is on September 15th, 1911. Yeah, so she has a habit of having kids and then making it be known that she doesn't want to raise them and that we should just hand them off to relatives to deal with. Not that she is, like, relieving them of any... Like, she has control. Here's the thing that I want to make really clear from the very beginning is that no matter what, it, it seems like at this time and in, in place that if you can't seem to afford your children, you find a place for them. You find a home for them, but uh, you retain some control. You have a say-so over them despite the fact that you aren't the one that's physically raising them. And she just makes it really clear, like, I don't want to raise this. Like, go give it to your spinster sister. Like, she'll do it. Yeah. And they do. Like, mm, it's not a great mommy-daughter relationship. Yeah, no, not at all. And by 1913, Gustav, he becomes a known alcoholic and most likely probably Clemens too. Clemens would file that year for divorce after making claims that her husband had sexually molested her oldest daughter, who would have been, you know, 10 or 11 at this time. But, you know, Clemens isn't the best mom herself. She's not rescuing her children. After the divorce, she takes the two oldest ones, uh, Amelia and Christine, and abandons them at the Le Mans Orphanage. And at this time, it was called the Bon Pasteur Orphanage and House of Correction. The Good Pasture Orphanage and Correction House. Yes. (laughs) Like, I just, I know that these, like, things existed in the past, these institutions, and they had asinine names. But the reality of it was, is, like, this This was very real. We've touched on this before, I think. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, they have three daughters and one that's a lot younger than the others, and that's Leia. And she's only two at this time of the divorce, and she ends up going into the care of her uncle. Yeah, so we're divorced, but, and I use the excuse that my husband is sexually molesting my children to get out of my divorce, but... And to get rid of... But then she doesn't do anything with her children. It's yeah. not it's not a protection for them. It's just to make it more clear to the court why she deserves her divorce and then oh, screw my kids. Like she's not she's not like caring for them. She's not horrified about what happened or trying to save the others. Like she's literally just managing to get her divorce and tossing these kids off onto, you know, uh institution. Yep. And 
you know, like we're saying, orphanages are kind of a very tricky thing back in that time. So if you guys really are true followers to the podcast or mm-hmm. you're masochist yourself, you can go back and listen to our Titanic episode. Oh, Glenn's for Punishment. Yes. Yeah, one of our <laughs> one of our real early episodes. Because um, we go into orphanages there as well. And like I said, they're not what you're expecting. They're called House of Correction as, you know, for a reason. In that story, though, we talked about a widowed woman who had several children, and she couldn't afford or find, you know, a place that would allow her to live with them all. Yeah, she had literally just moved back to England and needed a an, an apartment with several kids, and people were just like, what? So, no, like, yeah. I will let you house here with, like, four of your kids. Not all. But you can't have all of them, like and that gaggle. was just something people could tell you. So, you know, what she had done is she had sent um, her sons at an orphanage and was able to retain rights over them, and she even got them back when she found a bigger place. So it's kind of like a hotel for dogs that pe- no one oh wants. Oh my god! <laughs> it's like the children pound. It is, I guess, in a way. Um, it's I, I'm sure maybe they pass money on. You know, please keep my kids, take care of my kids. Here's the best I can do. It wasn't like being in an orphanage necessarily meant that you were lining up every day so that Daddy Warbucks could take a look at you. Like, yeah. you were there, they were feeding you, they were barely clothing you, and you had a place to sleep. And then if your parents could afford it, they would, you know, get you back out. If not, well, there you were. And in all honesty, this seems to be exactly where Clements wanted her children. Like, she had some control over them, but it wasn't her responsibility to feed them every day or make sure they went to bed or see how they were raised, you know? She just had say-so. Yeah, and she, you know, she wasn't exactly giving them up, so. But the problem was, is Clemens didn't really like her daughters on top of this, and I think that the point is, is that Clemens had a lot of uh, psychological issues. Like, it, it seemed like she had was young, got into a marriage she didn't want to be in, let she start popping out kids, didn't want to take responsibility for them, and, you know, you drive your kids off in an orphanage, but you have no problem showing up and looking them over and telling them that they're useless, essentially, is what was happening. Like, she is a very domineering, not nice person, but she never just, dis- she doesn't go away. You know, she probably would have done them all a favor by just disappearing, but that's not the way that Clement sees the world, especially because a lot of people see children as a ticket, a, a money ticket. And even especially in the past, like people used to have so many kids because somebody needed to survive to either take care of the farm and us in a later age. So basically she didn't mind showing up and letting them know that they were crap, but she also retained, like we said, again and again, rights over them. And to the point of it is, is that 1918, Amelia, her oldest, comes to her mom and she she lets her know like I want to enter a convent mm. and so at this point she she does she goes off to a convent she becomes a nun and in doing so she has the opportunity that she takes to shut down everybody else in her life she cuts her family out of her life now this wouldn't have been a big deal except for the fact that in France at this time law stated that as a parent, you had rights over your child till they were of maturity, and maturity wasn't until 21. You lived to 30 back then. How right? is maturity 21? But the point was, is like, we just said they're all in an orphanage. Well, it doesn't matter, because Clemens has rights over her kids. So if their daughter, if her daughter wanted to work, or move somewhere, or go to school, or whatever she wanted to do, you had to go get permission from your mom. And so... The thing was, I is that... I can't come out today. I gotta ask my mom. I have to ask my mom. That might be somewhere in town. I don't know. She doesn't live here. Anyways, 
she, Amelia had gone to her mom, gotten permission, went to the convent, and then literally shut everybody out of her life. And, and for good reason. Like, these are not great people. This is not a healthy relationship. And basically, she doesn't want to live in a damn orphanage, and she doesn't want to start working to make her mom money. So she does the safest route she can. She joins a convent, she gets taken care of, and oh, by the way, it gives her the route out from, like, cutting off her family. Yeah. The thing was, is that made it real freaking clear to Clements that she had made a mistake. That she had given permission, and because of what she did, she, she let this happen. And of course, Christine, who's just like five years, not even, she's not just even. a few years like Two years, younger. I think, younger. You know, she sees her sister get out of this bad situation. She realizes that, like, oh, so this is an option and they'll take care of me and I'll be okay. So she goes to her mom and says, I too want to become a nun. I want to join the convent. Well, Clemens isn't having it. Clemens is basically like, uh, like her feelings are hurt. And she doesn't, she lost control. She learned her lesson, and for basically a bitch, this isn't going to happen again. So she outright told Christine, like, no, you're not going to join a convent. You're stuck here at the orphanage until I say so. Which is only, like, a, a year or two later, because in a year or two, she's going to allow Christine to finally go out to work. Yeah, and that's in um, 1920 when Christine is 15. She's hired out as a maid to the Poirier family. And although this may seem terrible to us, you know, going and being sent to a house, it meant that Christine was housed in her very own room and provided a uniform, so that's clothing, as well as, you know, food and a small, and we're saying very small even by millennial standards, wage. It also meant that her mother couldn't just show up and abuse her so it was a little bit of freedom. Not as much as the convent would be, but it was better than the orphanage. Yeah, uh, and, like, literally what we're saying right here is, like, the silver lining. Like, if there is anything good about this, this is it. Like, everything else about it is shit. She is, like, very limitedly educated. She's been living in an orphanage, and now at 15, your only option is to go live in somebody's home while you, you're a servant. Yeah. You are working for nothing and doing extremely long hours. Yep. That same year, by the way, that Emilia went off to the convent, was the same year that the uncle that was taking care of Leah also happened to die. So Amelia goes off to a convent and Leah ends up forced into an orphanage herself. She ends up at an institution because God knows her parents aren't taking her in. And in yeah. fact, Gustav is nowhere to be found. Like, we, I know we're talking a lot about their mother, but ever since the divorce, ever since the, the filing of, like, the sexual harassment... Like, he just doesn't even speak or talk to any of the girls Just whatsoever. like a magician's father. He just disappears. Just disappears. So. But yeah, so by, like, uh, you know, Christina, Christine has that attitude of freedom right now. And by 1924, Leia actually begins working as a maid with Christine as well in the same home. And the two grow incredibly close. You know, it's really the only family bond that those two had that works out. Yeah, because like we said, Gustav's gone, their mom's an asshole, and Amelia's gone. Amelia is well. a nun and wants nothing to do with them and her own form of safety. So, yeah, all you have in the world is your sister. Yeah. You know, so really, up until, you know, they uh, become very, very close, despite, you know, the six year age difference, which, you know, for your sibling, it shouldn't make a big deal, but in, some, in this day and age, it does. Soon, the only company they end up actually having is themselves. You know, they wouldn't really even interact with the family that they were being homed by and working for. But these two also aren't your typical teen girls. Uh, being made in a very large house in the 20s wasn't easy. Like Shannon was saying, it's long hours. Yes, you're being fed. You're being paid a little bit. 
It's like telling someone to be happy that they're in the military because you're getting fed and housed and clothed. And you're like, wait, no, I'm really not. Like, you're like, I'm, yeah, I'm in a room, but, you know, the clothing is this uniform. It's not like you're going out Sunday clothes. This is your uniform. You know, the food is only because it's expected. Yeah. And to top it off, these girls, you know, when you think about someone being a servant, I think we're so used to people talking about modern day hours, you know, an eight or nine, ten hour day. Like, okay, and then I get my time off, right? But in this position, it's it's a lot like Down Abbey where you're watching them like they are in a room in the house. There's You are expected to be there. You can't stay the night somewhere else. Like, they're ringing their bell and you got to come from the basement. Yeah, if they call you, you need to come. I've and never it, seen Down Abbey. And the thing is, is that uh, the hours these girls are working, and remember, um, Leia's like, like 15, you know? The other girl's only few years older than her so we're just six years older than her maybe yeah and we're talking about them coming in and like literally working 12 to 14 hour days you get up in the morning before everyone else gets up so you can start your duties and have their breakfast ready yes you get to stop to eat three times a day but that whole day is you working all the way up until the people you're serving are fucking done for the day yeah you know and then you can finish off your day and not only that but this isn't this isn't three, four, or five days a week. These girls literally work six and a half days a week. They get one morning off a week. And where is that? Church. Yeah, church. You know? So when we say that they're getting isolated, it makes sense. Because they're not, again, not your typical teenager. Yeah, it's the Roaring Twenties. But they're not out at a bar or making friends with some kind of artist or having, you know, all the fun in the world. They're literally just surviving to, no, to live for other people no gatsby parties for these two yeah and as a result you know because they're not able to do the typical teenage girl thing like shannon saying going to shows or movies or, or parties you know not catching anything like that they fall in on themselves it's just fine they they seem to really prefer each other's company and yeah they make it a goal to just kind of keep working together as well by 1927 Christine actually uh, manages to get hired on as a maid for the Lancelin family. And Leia, you know, she's taken on only two months later. So again, bam, goal achieved. I can only have my one friend who's my sister and never deal with anyone else. Yeah, it's not a bad goal to have. Like, No, it uh, isn't. This but... is the thing that matters to me the most is having this person in my life. And that's exactly how Christine saw it. She got the job with the Lancelins, and then within a couple months convinced them that, you know, it would be really wise of them to go ahead and hire her sister as well. Yeah. And, you know, they did. And I'm sure, like we said, they gained their goals so they're together and they're happy in this, but at the same time, like, they still must have been incredibly lonely. So the Lancelin family, they're like many upper-class people at this time, and it they have very strong feelings or opinions on how much one should really have to interact with a servant you know what i mean we don't deal with them people i mean like and these are the things like we don't see this as often today and so you know there's there's decency everyone's equal everyone's a human being but this is not how classism works this is you know people with more money who hire you on to do your littlest bidding they aren't actually seen like people And just to stress how much they're not treating these girls, and these are young girls, they're teenage girls who never really had a real mother in their life, so, you know, they could have had everything in the world to treat them like family, that's not their intention. We already said they're going to be working six and a half days a week, you know, 12, 14 hours. To top that off, the family doesn't even speak to them. 
like I said, isolation, this is intense. Yes, the girls have each other to talk to, but when it comes to the household family, unless it's a direct order of what somebody wants, you're not getting spoken to. And in fact, that was very rare to even get a direct order because your duties are expected. Like, Christine is the the cook, and Leia is known as the chambermaid. And everything they're supposed to be doing should just be understood, and they should just do it. And to the point that they don't remember Madame Lancelin talking to them, actually. Like, in fact, if she had an issue, say, with the meal, she used to write formal notes and have her daughter, Genevieve, come down to the kitchen and present it That's to Christine. That's a rich French name. Yeah. Okay. So she would come down and present it to Christine like mother has an issue. But it was, I mean, I doubt she even said that. Here's your note. Get your shit together. And that was that. And it didn't even stop there. Like, like we said, it's expected. Like there's a certain level of how much you're supposed to work to the point where Madame Lancelin used to go through the house wearing white gloves and would run her hands on the furniture. And if that wasn't to her liking, if you didn't pass the white glove test, something bad was going to happen. Why do that here? So I think that's fine, right? Yeah. As long as there's a fine level of sand on it, it's good. You were such a mess. Anyways, to the point, like, when I say that there might be punishment, like, I'm not, I'm not joking. And there was even in, like, an incident that really stood out in October of 1928, like, literally maybe a year into them working there. And so one day... Leia accidentally dropped a piece of paper. God or, forbid. Or she left a scrap. It's literally a scrap. We're not talking like, oh, a whole sheet of paper fell off a desk and we're upset. Like, we're talking about, like, some trash fell out of your pocket. Oh, my pearls. But Leia didn't pick it up. Leia didn't see it or she missed it. Whatever it was, when Madame Lancelin, as they called her, their mistress, Madame, when she saw that, she got so angry that she went up to Leia She grabbed her by the arm and she pinched until the girl bled. And then she got her on her knees and made her pick up this piece of paper. Well, it just seems right. Not at all. Not at all. No, uh, your sarcasm does not work very well. No, I'm realizing as soon as I say that my sarcasm voice didn't carry over. But, um, you know, so I'm thinking it's very pretty clear that there's abuse in the home, despite the fact that the Lancelins may not have viewed it in that way. It's more teaching and they're not real people. They're just the servant girls. But besides the physical abuse, there's also, like we've been saying, a lot of the isolation. They're not talking to the girls. Even the daughter, Genevieve, who's kind of around their age, isn't talking to them. You know, and the girls end up just living for each other, essentially. The isolation became much more complete for the two of them when they cut ties with their mother in 1929. According to Mr. Lancelin, the girls had such a big fight with their mother that they ended their relationship, and then following that, Despite the fact that the family hardly even spoke to the girls, they felt that the sisters' disposition had become sour and taciturn. And it made the Lancelins so uncomfortable that they said they didn't broach the subject with the girls because they felt their comments would be received badly. So they saw this as a shitstorm, and they're like, we're not having any part of that. My servant is frowning more often than I prefer, but it's very uncomfortable, so we're just not going to talk to them We don't about want them it. to stab us, probably. No, I mean, the point, like, I'm sure, again, this is a small town, so they're not not aware of who their mother is. And I'm sure, like, you know, there's this bad relationship. There's a reason you got your girls from an orphanage or some other house where they're already working at a young age. Like, 
the thing was is that the girls had, like I said, like just because they were working, that didn't totally shut them down from their mom. Their mom still had the ability to make money off of them. Although, you know, for the last two years, maybe she hadn't, even though Leia was still of age to be handing her money over. For some reason, she wasn't doing that. But overall, the fight had come down to money. Something bad enough transferred between the three of them that the sisters were like, we're done and we're cutting her off. And uh, yeah, the Lancelin family felt that whatever this fight was, was bad enough to give them somewhat of an attitude. And they just didn't want to deal with that because they didn't think it would be taken well. So, you know, we just won't deal with that. I mean, it was just, this fight was so bad with their mother that they even, like, went out of their way in September of 1931 to go see the mayor of Le Mans, where they lived. And they were just going there to request to request that Leia manage to get emancipation from her mother. And like I said, like, even though she wasn't handing over her money, like, it seems like whatever this fight was, it it was enough that they wanted actual, like, here's paperwork saying, like, you can't talk to us. You can't take our money. You can't do anything to us. And the strangest thing about that is when they went to go see the mayor, like the mayor's secretary first comes in the room and enter, like he says, oh, these nutcases are here. Like legit, like to quote, like here are these nutcases. So I don't know what it is because we don't have a lot of records on like anything really wrong. Like the girls never have a criminal record. You know, they don't get in trouble. They're not out drinking. We said they don't do anything. They just stay together and they go to church. So, like, what is there to call them a nutcase for? And the most I can think of is, like, they just know their family. They know their family is trash and mom and dad are crazy. And, well, here's these two girls that want to cause a problem. But there's already a feeling about them in town. Like, so either it's that, like, you come from a bad family and I'm judging you. Or there's more to the women and their attitudes than what anybody has really had to say about them. Yeah. But the thing was, is like, you know, like I said, even though we have very little on them, like what we do know is just like it's small stuff. So, you know, Christine is the older one and she's the leader, which makes sense. Like she's not the eldest child, but the eldest child is gone. So in terms, she is. And I, we're both elder child. Like, you and yeah. me. Like, we have the little siblings. What happens? Oh, well, you're supposed to be the responsible one. And, and oh, they get a cell phone at 14, yeah. Well, or, or, you know, like, so that one, you know, your your younger sibling does something bad. And all of a sudden, it's like, they're not even getting punished. It's you. Like, why did you let that happen? You're like, I don't know. I'm like two years older than them. Like, I don't know. But there's that, that responsibility that comes on to an older sibling. And with her being six years older, like, yeah, and she's the reason Leah's getting jobs. She's the reason that they're together. So when it comes down to, like, Christine, she has a lot more personality. She is a little more headstrong. Sometimes she has been kind of ran up for insolence, probably when she was 13, 14 working. Yeah. You know, so, like, I don't even blame her on that one. We just know that there is a little bit more to Christine because when it really comes down to Leia, she's just quiet. She's mousy. She's shy. But she's also kind of considered to maybe have a low IQ. There's something going on with Leia that people just know, like, she's not that smart or that quick or, you know, if you really want to get something through, probably tell Christine kind of thing. Yeah. This is all we really know about these two girls. That being said, there's, there's not a lot to look down on them for. They're hardworking, they're quiet, they keep to themselves, and they do their job. What more can you ask from two young women? Yeah, and you know, many of them just kind of assume that this is a sibling relationship, you know, and they're just super bonded, that they're just really, really close together. 
But in 1933, Le Mans and the rest of France would soon discover that wasn't e- that's not even really close to the case at all. Yeah, people saw two siblings and thought, well, you know, yeah, they're siblings. They're close. I yeah. guess that's, like, weird, but it's fine. I mean, we've all met those siblings, you know? Like, I, oh, my God, I dated a guy whose sister used to kiss him on the lips. I thought it was the grossest thing that's ever. That's weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then we're just a super, you know, lovey-dovey, like, let's hug each other and, I don't know, kind of family. And so, you know, we all know those people. Like, you're like, oh, that's weird, but... Or someone's listening right now, like, there's nothing wrong with it. Ah, there but... is. <laughs> I'm here to tell you there is. Uh, uh, you know, so a lot of people just seem to take for granted, like, okay, they work together, they live together. Of course, they're, they're close. And they're girls. That's the other thing is, like, they're girls. So it's fine. But 1933, Le Mans and all of France is about to figure out this is not just a very close sibling relationship. This is something much worse, something much more. Yeah. On a very fateful day in February of 1933. So on February 2nd, it's a day a lot like any other, I'm sure. You got Rene Lancelin, head of the household. He is a retired solicitor, so he's basically like an old lawyer. And we're talking about a very wealthy guy who has servants. So he's not home all day. He's pretty much out doing his thing, probably out at the clubs, hanging out with his guy friends, whatever he has to do, but he's gone. Same thing kind of goes for Madame Lancelin and their daughter Genevieve. Basically, they're out shopping all day. So that really just leaves Christine and Leia at home to do their duties. Now, on this day, Christine was starting to plug in an iron to, to do said duties. Problem is, is that this iron had been acting up to the point where she'd only just picked it up from the repairman the day before. It had previously broken, it had caused a shortage in the house electricity, and whatever the issue with it, uh, when it came to the Lancelins, they felt like that was their maid's fault. So Christina had to go take this iron to get repaired out of her own money. She had just picked up the iron back, and, you know, here she was today going to plug it in and use it, and it broke. Not only did it break, but it, again, it blew the voltage in the house. So Uh-oh. all the electricity's out yet again for the same issue that she had literally just paid out of money to go get fixed. And to top, like, just to make it worse, just to kind of, like, bruise your ego, like, the guy that repaired it literally said, like, I don't see anything wrong with it. Like, I fixed it, but it's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Most likely, it wasn't even the iron. It was more like the the circuitry in the house itself. most likely. But can you imagine working this many hours for such a small wage, and then something breaks, and your boss is like, no, you pay for it. And if it breaks again, it's your fault. This is the situation Christine's in. Like, she's at home with Leia. The power just goes out. And then right around, like, 5.30, here comes Madame Lancelin and her daughter Genevieve from a big, long day of shopping just so that they can come down, you know, come home to an empty black house. If she's going to be this much of a, a pain in the ass over a piece of paper, can you imagine what this might have felt like? Yeah, she probably tried to burn the whole house down with them inside. So, well, yeah. I mean, you'd think she'd burn the house down, but it's her house. So instead, she's just probably going to cause physical harm to the good-for-nothings that she's hired. So they get home, and they're standing on the first floor landing, and Christina's just trying to explain, like, Madam, I I plugged in the iron, it cut out the electricity, like, I'm so sorry. 
And according to Christine and Leia, this was this was just a tipping point. And Madame Lancelin became irate and was like basically going to attack them. And Christine lost her mind, essentially. Like Christine claims that Madame Lancelin was trying to attack her or her sister. And so in a fit, she, well, she attacked Genevieve, the daughter, also standing there. Christine ended up pouncing on Genevieve and then proceeded to rip her eyes out. Uh, nope. As Christine is currently trying to blind Genevieve, something comes over Leia and she simultaneously jumps on Madame Lancelin and she also goes and pulls her eyes out as well. And they must be part cat because that's how they fight. They go for the eyes. I mean, I just like, it, it, that is such a statement. Like there are a lot of things you could do in a very physical, violent move. You know, if you are fearing for your life, um, you will either fight or flight. That's human nature. Yeah. And so I can understand, like, I felt like I was being attacked or I felt like my sister was getting attacked and I just, I just moved. But for me, like, at first I would think, like, no, I'm just, I would hit somebody in the face or I would hit them in the stunt. Like, hit. That's my mind. It's like, oh, you hit or you run. Yeah. When I, when I really sat down and started to think about this, I was like, what is it that they always tell me, though? Every time I've been into, like, a... A class where I'm supposed to do like self-protection. I don't know you. That's my purse. That's my purse. So they always tell you to go for the eyes. My favorite, my favorite little fact that I love to tell people because it's absolutely 100% true and legal is that you should always carry a small container of wasp spray. Yeah, that's terrifying. Okay. So the deal is is that you could go out and you can get yourself pepper spray. But you know what? A lot of people have played around with pepper spray. And I've also seen pepper spray used where, on people who were so big and so angry that it didn't do anything. It was like hitting a bear in the face with a paper bag. Like nothing. A smaller bear. It's just, you know, there are just chemicals out there that we use that, you know, in a time like this, it might not work. When it comes to wasp spray, wasp spray is totally legal to carry and use, but unlike pepper spray, which can be washed out, wasp spray cannot. It takes a specific chemical to get that out of your eyes, or you'll get blinded eventually. Yeah, I don't like this So, idea. wasp spray is legal to carry. You should spray, you should have it for your self-protection, and then that way, when someone attacks you, you can spray them in the face, you can get away, and then you can call the police and let them know whoever comes into the local hospital with wasp spray in their eyes was really the guy who attacked you, or woman. I don't know you, that's my purse. And here's your wasp spray. No, so fun fact for you guys, right? Like, there's your protection. Totally legal, and it makes it, it, makes it easier to figure out who it is that attacked you, but... So that being said, uh, you know, a lot of self-protection classes tell you to go for the eyes. It's one of the most sensitive points on the body. It's, it's something you can do as a weaker person to a bigger assailant, and it's going to drop them. Shove your finger in there, man. Pop that thing out. Like, people love their eyes. They're not going to, like, sit there and let you mess with them like that in a life or death situation. And so to me, it just seems really strange that these girls would go to this, like, out of the blue, just go to this extent, went for the eyes. Like, are they really this crazy? Or was the attack, like, enough that they just went into a total, like, survivalist mode? They might have. 
I don't know. What we do know is that they got insanely violent with these women. So, yeah, they both attacked them, and the first thing they did was rip out their eyes, which means that the two victims just dropped on the spot. They're not dead, but they're so out of it from the attack that they don't even say words at this point. Like, there's cries, there's there's whatever, but there's not even words like stop or don't. Like, we're just beyond that point now. So as soon as the two victims are on the ground and, and basically, like, they're not getting back up and doing anything, Christine leaves the room. She runs downstairs to the kitchen, and she comes back with a kitchen knife and a hammer. And from that point on, for the next 30 minutes... The girls, just in silence, just working together, proceeded to mutilate and damage the two living victims until they were dead and then beyond. Yeah, it's called mayhem, technically speaking. I mean, it's it's like a massacre, if you can call two people a massacre. I mean, essentially, not only... Only if it's done right. Not only did they use these two tools, but then they also had, like, a small pewter pot that had been sitting on a table on that first floor landing. So the two girls are just kneeling there, and without words, they're just going to town on their victims they're just ripping them apart they're cutting them up they're smashing them in the face and they're just like switching tools back and forth without even saying like they just know each other so well as to what each other wants or is doing and um it literally took them 30 minutes to make them almost unrecognizable it wasn't just the eye gouging it wasn't just a hammer when it came to the knife like when it was came to Genevieve's legs Later on, detectives would say that they cut them up so bad that it looked like meat prepared for the oven. Like, it's not a person's leg. Like, it was just hacked. And, like, why else would you... What what could you possibly have been trying to do? I hate that people are made of meat. It's disgusting. Um, With the hammer, they obviously crushed their victims' skulls until they were unrecognizable. And like I said, overall, for 30 minutes of mutilation, you know, they they destroyed these women. They When police finally got inside, they would find teeth scattered around the room. They ended up finding one of Genevieve's eyes on top of the stairs and the other under her body. And then when it came to Madame Lancelin's eyes, the creepiest thing was is that Christine had put them in, her, in Madame Lancelin's own scarf. Together, Aww. like a little pair. Like, At least they're together. Oh my god. Like, that's that's the strangest part for me. Is, like, not only did you do this brutal, awful, like, thing, and then you, like, mutilated them, but you had enough wherewithal to keep the eyes together and, like, tuck them away. You know? Like, fucking, like, what even? Yeah, that's a bit creepy. But they just murdered two people, so that's kind of creepy, too. In the end, 30 minutes, they're finished. The two girls kind of look at each other. They remove their clothes, their obviously bloody, dirty clothing, and they go and they clean themselves up, wash their face, wash their hands, and then together they just headed back up to their third story bedroom. They locked all the doors, headed up to their bedroom, and just crawled into bed with each other just to, li- just to sit there with one another until someone finally came. Like, there was no trying to run from any of this. Like, it was as if they were just resigning themselves to the fact that, like, yeah, we did this, and now someone's gonna come get us. Like, they they didn't know what else to do. And early that evening, Rene actually returns home to collect his wife and daughter for a dinner party that they were going to, because that's what they did back then. And he got there, and he finds that the house is dark, and that the door is locked. So, Rene, being the very smart man he is, he's asking to see if anyone's home. No one answers. Oh, they must already be on their way. So he turns around, he heads over to the party, and he gets there and he quickly realizes that, no, his wife and daughter aren't here, 
something must be up. Yeah, something's wrong. Like, they're not, they weren't at the house. Why would it be so dark, you yeah. know? And But they're not here, so, no. So, he grabs a son-in-law, and they head back to the house. And when they get back to the house, you know, Renee's pretty distressed at this point, but they see a lone candle in the third-story window, and that the front door is definitely locked. It's definitely barred, and something's going on. Yeah, so my house is dark and barred, but somebody's here. I can see the girls up there. Like, why aren't they opening my door? Yeah, and, you know, with him being unable to get into the house, he calls the police, and um, they're actually forced to climb the garden wall to gain access to the home and the women. When they get inside, they discover the two bodies of Genevieve and her mother, bloodied and battered and you know their dresser pulled up and their undergarments are pulled down it's not a very pretty scene and at the time instead of being like ew gross trace it and chalk the police and the detectives they do the nice thing and they kind of make the bodies a little bit more presentable for modesty's sake yes yeah, so there's pictures of the crime scene but in the crime scene it just looks like the dresses are pulled up to like their knees and like they're disarrayed but what would have been really more important is to realize, like, that's sexual abuse of a victim. Like, yeah. why else would you pull their dresses up and their underwear off? Like, that was a very important fact that they did this, these two women did this physically to two other women that they attacked. There was a lot more to this attack than just brutal violence. There was sexual abuse yeah. that happened. And, um, obviously Christine and Leia are arrested and would not deny their guilt. Although Christine, you know, she would change her story saying that, hey, this was just me, Leia wasn't involved. However, Leia refused to deny that she was involved and actually end up kind of saying that she did have part in this murder. But also Leia's taking the time now to announce that she's also deaf and dumb in this time being hard of hearing or unable to hear and unable to speak or very hard of speaking. She's basically saying that she's disabled, that she's not smart, she's unable to think that, you know, I, something's wrong with me. Like And like I said, people have constantly already said that she has a low IQ. Like yeah. something is slightly off with Leia no matter what we know it is and what's sad is that you know she's in this bad circumstance and she just falls back onto it and she very well might believe that like I'm too stupid to understand what's going on right now yep and maybe that might have come down to her stress level yeah know? and um once they're arrested the two women are taken and for the first time in so many years they've been separated and placed in a different holding cells now, as you can imagine, this doesn't go over very well. Christine becomes extremely upset that she's separated from her sister. She's calling out for Leia all the time, ex exhibiting strange behaviors like having visions. Both sisters end up refusing to eat or drink for about the next week. In July, over a fit of not being able to see her sister, Christine starts to gouge her, tries to gouge her eyes out. And luckily, the um, wardens at the facility she's in put her in a straitjacket so she can't she cause can't harm, harm herself. to herself. Yeah. And that's and that is, so here's the eye gouging again. I, that has to be a symptom of some very deep, unsettling psychological issue to want to harm others and yourself in such a like such a sensitive area. Yeah. But the thing is, is like we already said that something was wrong with this sisterly arrangement. And it all kind of really started with people saying that when they found the girls. Like I said, they took their dresses off, they got cleaned up, and then they went up to bed. What I didn't quite delve into was the fact that there's a couple different stories of how that goes when they found them. And a lot of people like to say that they found them naked in bed. That they had like literally been there holding one another naked in bed. A lot of other people say, no, they cleaned up and put on nightgowns. 
And I read one article that said, you know, that when they left the house, all they had on was their kimonos, so, like, their robes. Yeah. But as soon as these girls get arrested, there is instant rumors that this is a homosexual relationship, that these are two women who were doing something sexual to one another that was inappropriate, and especially, uh, it's your sister. So it's just this story gets wildly out of control, and that's what I would have called it, a story. I would have said, no, you know, you found women and you're trying to hype up, like, something more than it had to be. But because Christine pulls this stunt in July, because she almost tries to rip her own eyes out because she can't see her sister, the authorities kind of relent and finally say, okay, fine, we can let you see Leia. Like, you two can come together. But the problem is, is when they finally get into a room together, what happens makes it more clear than ever that this story of, like, homosexual behavior between sisters might be true. Because Christine comes in, and the very first thing she does is start holding on, start pawing at Leia. And then Christine takes off her own shirt, starts to unbutton her shirt and takes it off while she's grabbing onto Leia. And she's just saying, say yes to me. Please say yes to me. It's a, yeah. Um, you know, and at one point in here, too, Christina is also announcing that in another life, she had been or was betrothed to be her sister's husband. So, there's a lot of craziness, I want to say, but I'm not trying to be crass about it. There's a lot of difficulties going on with this whole situation. I think that you see this happen a lot of, I mean, sexual abuse is rampant today, and it happens a lot in families, too. We just don't like to talk about it. And you're looking at two very abused girls who have nothing but each other and have had nothing but each other for years. They live in the same room. They're sleeping in the same bed. Everyone just accepted it because they were sisters, you know, so they weren't supposed to be doing anything. But they're, you know, their father has been, you know, charged with sexually harassing his own child. Yeah. Who's to say he wasn't touching them or what they learned in an orphanage or what it is that, you know, might even run in genetics? Like, what is Christine doing? But it makes it very clear once they get in touch with each other, because the only one that's screaming and crying and begging to be with each other is really Christine. Yeah. To the point where she's hurting herself. So they put them together, and the first thing you see is an overly sexual advance. It's almost as if you had two uh, wife and husband who had been separated. And so the first time in months that they get to see each other, what do you expect them to do? You expect them to, like, high five or do you expect them to embrace? Fist bump. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes down to them, this relationship, it, it makes it very clear, very obvious to everyone who just watched this that this is not an okay relationship. This is overly sexual, that Christine initiates the sex, that like Leah is at her disposal and has and has been because like here's Christine telling her to say it's okay. Yeah. You know, give me your permission. I want this. I want this. And it's scary. So this reunion, that's it. This is the last one they're going to really have together uh ever ever to be alone next to each other each other touching each other anything like that. Christine realize like once this meeting is done they're separated and they're done and in fact christine must realize like she had way overstepped the bounds because she just she stops trying to ask for the reunion she maybe mentions leia in one more letter that month and then that's really it she no longer pushes like i'm gonna hurt myself if i can't be with my sister 
So they are permanently separated except for when they get to see each other at court. And even at court, like, it's, they can't even be next to each other. There will always be a police officer between the two of them. The women would finally face court on September 30th of that year. They stood near one another, but like Shannon was saying, there's always a policeman separating them. And as you can imagine, this is a hugely popular case. It's been running all in all the headlines for the past six months. There's brutal murder. There's homosexual love. There's um, incest. You know, it's, it's like it's a, better than the OJ story. It's Come better on. than the OJ story. It's it's just the media now. Um, you know, and people are so enraged that the angry crowds are gathering. You know, and people are demanding the death penalty for what's been going on here. There's so much wrong with this case in the eyes of the general public. Oh, and they've had several months to, like, egg it on, like we said in the media. Like, people have been talking about this. Pictures of the girls before and after, like, throughout the media. People's opinions on what's going on. And, you know, there's not TV, so you just get your newspaper a couple times a day. Like, this has people irate. Like, there are crowds in front of the courthouse. There are policemen being dispatched to deal with these crowds. There's so many people. And what they're calling for is the death penalty. They want the guillotine. They want to see heads roll. Yeah, they're just being, they're being super extreme about it. And they're not the only ones. Even journalists are writing articles saying they deserve the death penalty. Yeah, and the case wasn't only interesting because of the extreme and unexpected violence, but for the psychological factors as well. You guys are listening to a true crime podcast, so you guys are all the same nuts as these people. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, okay, you guys are listening to a true crime podcast. You get into all this extreme violence and psychological factors. You know, you kind of know exactly the type of people that are interested in this. The people you find at the bar and you chatter at about all this stuff. He's looking at me. No, I mean, I think what you're trying to say is, is like, there's not just the interest in like this crazy violent thing. Like, that's not, oh, violence and blood. Like, that's not what really gets us. It's more like the human spirit. Like, what the hell just happened? How can someone possibly do this? Why would they do this? Like, it's kind of trying to understand like the human psyche and what goes on in there. And, like, this case tends to grabs people atten- grabs people's attention because, like we said, there's not just the extreme violence. There's something really psychologically disturbing going on in the background. And this is just the background of, like, the most quiet, most subdued little life you could have thought of. Like, you're a maid. You just work. What else do you, like, you don't do anything else but work. Why could this possibly have happened? And people are just, they are up in their feelings about it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's how you get two seemingly um, unobtrusive uh, women who are causing this huge massacre. And, you know, the sisters, they're, throughout the court cases and the trials, they're provided with three separate psychological evaluations. As far as Leia is concerned, they find no extreme psychological disorders. She's kind of quiet and timid. She's a bit anxious, kind of mousy. Maybe she had a little bit of an anxiety disorder, but she is seen to seem to have a lower IQ, but overall kind of deemed pretty harmless and just kind of sweet and fine. She has some anxiety issues. Like, she might be a little bit slower than everybody else, and then she's just, she's shy. She's, like, easily overpowered. Yeah. And, you know, they felt that it was Christine who had caused all the problems because she's showing that uh, she's showing signs of having delusional fits. And today it'd probably be diagnosed as schizophrenia. According to statements made by people who were familiar with Christine, she had been growing increasingly agitated in the months that led up to the attack, probably by having something super serious and being undiagnosed and untreated. 
Add to that the sisters' almost complete isolation from the outside world and just together, and the fact that Leia was very, very passive and Christine could be seen as dominating. Eventually, the pairing led to what psychologists would dub voila a deux, madness in pairs. You know, and it's actually a shared psychotic disorder between two or sometimes more people. It's sometimes called a voila quatre or a voila family. Uh, yeah, I'm haven't brushed up my yeah, French Yeah, I forever. can't stand to hear you saying this stuff. No, essentially, it comes down to a super close relationship with those who are involved with it. So, yeah, a do, like, a do is two. Yeah. Sometimes what you're saying is sometimes there's more, like three or four people or your your little innate family. It's, it's an actual shared psychosis. And some call this communicated insanity. When you commit suicide because a comet's coming by. Okay, so, and that, okay, well, jumping on that then is, I guess you could very much say that I would be, I would not be surprised to see this happening in in very small cloistered cults, right? So, essentially, what it comes down to is that someone in this relationship where all of the people are becoming increasingly isolated, but with only each other. So, the whole outside world doesn't matter. You and me, we matter, And then out of those people, you have one that has a dominating personality or idea or psychosis. They're the ones whose ideas seem to kind of infiltrate everyone's mind. You know, if I'm hanging out with Corey every day and then I tell him that I'm pretty sure the cat just talked to us, but we only talk to each other and we only hang out with this cat all the time. And eventually, like, he might start hearing the cat talk to him, too. Yeah, but he's sleeping. He's being super cute. And and to us, that would be the only thing in the world that matter. It wouldn't matter that anyone outside didn't believe us because they're just lying. At this point, they matter so little that the outside world is more out to get us than to believe us. So you just get more inward turning you start thinking about what each other wants or what your feelings are or like your passions or your needs or your desires and then everything else is just a gray matter outside of that and this is essentially what has happened to christine and leia for the last several years they're living in a bedroom together and the only thing that they do outside of that is work and that's with each other and nobody else is talking to them or dealing with them or being kind to them To add on top of that, you have the budding hormones. You have a family that's used to touching each other. You have a dominating person who is taking advantage of someone who's not. And so she can mold or manipulate how Leia thinks and what she can make Leia do. And Leia does it because, you know, why would I ever tell my sister no? Like, I can't tell her no. And this just fascinates people in France at the time. And it's been fascinating us ever since. The idea that someone on their own could be, I guess, in a term, so crazy that they can literally, I don't know, infect those around them to be crazy. And that's why I say I could see it in a small cult position. If you had a dominating personality like a cult leader, and there's only like five of you, and your cult leader is saying, can't you hear that voice of God, the one I hear? Eventually, you might freaking hear the voice of God with them. You know, like it's just this dominating personality that kind of takes over you. But essentially, psychologists looked at these two, and they were like, yeah, um, this is what we think happened, to the point that Leia doesn't exist. Leia has no personality of her own whatsoever like christine is the personality for the both of them it's a third personality and those are the two people together and um you know so as they're going through the trial and all these reports are being placed out the lancelin's family lawyers 
would actually issue some kind of very quotable words for the final words of this case. Quote, since they behaved like wild animals, they must be treated like savages and wild animals, end quote. In the end, the two were found guilty of murder after only 40 minutes of deliberation. The sisters had never denied that they committed a crime or a violent act, although they denied the physical relationship between themselves. Which is, I say it every episode, there's nothing in your best interest other than to deny, deny, deny. I am, I am not guilty. I am innocent. The thing is, they never, they never denied that they murdered these women. They outright said, I massacred these women. That yeah. We did that. It's just, you know, whether or not they had a physical relationship, they always said no. They always said that's not true. But the things that people saw them do kind of are the only ways that we can claim, like, no, that's not that's not real. But it's in their best interest, obviously, because if there's anything that you could break, and you could break the law, and your community will forgive you. You can't break a taboo. Yeah. There's no coming back from eating people or sleeping with your brother. Yeah, that's you know? true. <laughs> um, you know, Unless you live in Alabama. Right. Then it's encouraged or... Uh, you know, and Christine is, she ends up being sentenced to death by guillotine, and uh, Leia receives 10 years of prison with hard labor. Upon hearing the sentencing, Christine fell to her knees in the middle of the courtroom. Christine's death sentence was eventually commuted to life imprisonment, and her time in prison did not go well as she struggled with separation from her sister. And once more, she began to refuse to eat. Eventually, Leia was brought to see Christine, but at the time, Christine claimed not to recognize her, saying, she is very nice, but she's not my sister. And I think, because I don't know if we said this or not, but if you had looked at Christine today and seen the things that, we said she's going through a psychosis, she's having fits, she's getting agitated. A lot of people today would diagnose her as schizophrenic. So she's a schizophrenic who's not getting treatment and, you know, these these beliefs, these ideas, these things have been building up in her and she's, you know, this is not, this is 1930s. It's not getting treated and uh, they don't even know what it is. But by the time she, the woman that she's been crying to see, the person that she's not eating for, the person that is her world, you know, they're so desperate they bring her in and she goes, I don't, I don't know this person. It's a very nice girl. I don't know her. And very well in Christine's mind, she might not have because she would have seen Leia as being separated for so long that that's not, that's not my Leia. That's not my person. That's not my other half. Yeah. It's just really disturbing to see like how deep your psychosis can go where you can tell yourself like, I don't know them. Like that's that, like, it's just crazy. That's really intense. As her depression and potential schizophrenia gets worse, most likely because it was untreated, Christine was actually forced to be moved to a mental institution, and she later dies of caxia, which is basically wasting away, after suffering from an infection on May 18, 1937. Yep, so she did get the death sentence, got commuted to life, but life didn't last, like, more than another five years or so, because... Yeah, she got a lung infection, and when you're already, like, anorexic, or you're not eating, or you're in a bad state already, like, there's not a whole lot you can bounce back from in an infection, and, you know, she's literally in her 20, like, late 20s at this point, and she died. That's pretty intense. As far as Leia is considered, she didn't fare all that much better. So she was given prison time with hard labor for 10 years, was what they decided, 
But in the end, the jury, like, had looked over this whole case, had kind of seen what people were trying to represent between what was the controllingness of Christine. I mean, essentially, they said there is no Leia. So a lot of people kind of looked at her and felt bad for her, even though she was this, like, crazy murderer. They were saying, you know, in all honesty, if it hadn't been for Christine, this girl would never have done this. She would never be in a court and... You know, I don't, we don't, we don't know that she would have been a detriment to society. So, in their pity, they give her 10 years hard labor. And she, you know, she is the only one that outright tries to appeal the sentence. Christine gets the death sentence and doesn't even appeal it. But Leia must have had a good lawyer or something, because she at least tries to appeal it. And out of the 10 years that she's supposed to serve, she ends up, like, serving eight Uh, And she probably gets out due to good behavior. Like we said, she's not a troublemaker, and she probably would never show any more signs of this insane delusion. It's, you know, that person that was egging it on is not there anymore. So when she gets out in eight years, upon her release in 1941, she ends up moving to the town of Nantes and lives with her mother. Probably the first person that started this whole process in the beginning. Had she just been a good mom, this probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's, that's what she ends up doing, and she spends the rest of her life doing that. She tries to get back into normal life, but in order to do that, she has to take on a new name, and then she just becomes a maid again. She works as a maid at a hotel, and she just kind of slowly drifts into obscurity because she's living under a, a different name, and people don't, you know, there wasn't much to remember her by on a picture, and she's normal and functioning, so, like, why would you remember a lot of people slowly started to forget about the sisters, but not the crazy thing that happened. Like, that always stayed in, like, France's memory. And a lot of people were just super interested in the idea of folie do. Like, the fact that, what is this, you know, combined madness? What is this infectious disease that makes people murder? And, you know, with that, she just kind of slowly disappeared until about, oh, I would say around 1966. People... Like, all throughout time, people, like, since this happened, there have been books, there's been movies, there's been plays. Like, people love a juicy story, and this for sure is one of those. Mm -hmm. But someone was making a book in 1966 and actually found Leia. They They interviewed her, they talked to her, she showed them a whole big, like, box of memorabilia she had, including, like, dresses of hers and Christine's. She even had lace from the Lancelin house. That's creepy. So here's your serial killer with, like, their little memento. Like, you know, sometimes I have to wonder, just, like, was she as blameless as people say? And at the time, she showed her own strange signs of psychosis because she claimed that she was having, that she was, at that point, having visions regularly of Christine. She said Christine visited her, and so she knew that Christine was in paradise. Well, that's a good ending. Uh, yeah. A lot of people think that Leia would end up dying in 1982, but there was a documentary that came out in 2000, and they had claimed that they had actually found Leia alive and living in a hospice facility, and there are pictures online, and, you know... It's a picture of an old lady next to a very, very old picture of when, like, Leia had first been arrested, which would have been when she was 21. 
And I do say there's similarities. I can say that. But I, I also can say that a lot of old ladies all kind of end look up the looking same. the same. Yeah. <laughs> old ladies and little babies, they all look the same. <sighs> Unless you're a really ugly baby. Oh, there's, there's an alternative to being that? Um... So that's why I saw no baby pictures at your house. Cool. Uh-huh, yeah. Anyways, uh, so yeah, she. If this is the person they're claiming it is, then Leia actually lived all the way until two thousand one, probably close to into like her nineties. I was gonna say that puts her at ninety after being crazy. So. Well, and that like that, I don't even care about crazy. It's just like you're a murderer, and then you go on to live this huge, full, like long-lasting life. Like it just seems almost like beyond reason. Yeah. But um, that is the sisters Pappin. That is Christine and Leia and probably the original story of Folia Du. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's also my return back to the podcast. So you guys aren't going to get creepy stories that Shannon's going to tell on her own and sneak past me about people being turned to soap. No, I want Corey to be here imagining people's eyes getting torn out. No, 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 I'm... I'm, I'm you yeah. good? You good? You good? Yeah, I'm going to sleep with my sword tonight. <laughs> okay, so, yep, that's it. We're back. We're back. I hope that the sound quality was okay. I hope that uh, everything's good with you guys, and we appreciate that you stopped by for a good story. So when you guys get a second, if you guys can log into iTunes or YouTube and leave us a little bit of a review. Not even. If you just want to hit that subscribe button, we'd be more than happy with that. And uh, until next week, we just want you to stay safe, but a little bit more aware. Maybe go get yourself that uh, wasp spray. Yeah, or you can can definitely do that. (laughs) All right, you guys, we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 